Hello and welcome. This is Mark Medeiros, and I'm with Negotiation Strategist Research. For our listeners, you know that persuasion, influence, and negotiation are how we communicate our needs to the world. Tricks don't win. Knowledge does. Hi, this is Mark Medeiros with Negotiation Strategist Research, and thank you for attending or watching uh, this Lesson 17, which is called Here Come the Robots, and it's about how negotiation and transactions and disputes are being automated. Now, I've been studying this for a couple of decades, and negotiation is changing. It's evolving, and today I'm going to present some research on what that looks like and how you can be better at negotiating from uh, with the lessons we've actually learned from robots. So let's get started. I often ask people, how do you feel when you negotiate? If I were to say, are you ready to negotiate? How do you feel? Do you have, do you freeze? Do you want to run away from it? Do you feel anxiety? Do you think it's like conflict? Uh, the long story is that for automated systems, your feelings are irrelevant. And here's what happens. When we have transactions, we think different players act in a different way that make us more likely to be persuasive and that we have to touch people emotionally, which absolutely is true. But in many commodity transactions and transactions with a technological interface, a lot of what we feel isn't relevant. In fact, we actually are guided by these more objective things and a lot of you know, Internet of Things designers, IoT, uh, try to make that feel to actually persuade us. So it's good to know that persuasion, getting an emotional tech, uh, touch with technology is actually being programmed in. So let's get started. There was a study done with uh, uh, children at Plymouth University in the UK, and these were um, attendants who kind of replicated the uh, uh, Solomon Ash experiments, if you recall, where these were experiments done about authoritarianism where if the group pointed to the short line and said that was a longer line, then the subject who's being tested to go along would agree that the short line was the long line. They would deny their immediate sense impression and go along because the authority was telling them so. Well, this was replicated with the following attendance. We had children in a uh, a place room, and there were different attendees who formed the consensus that children were the subjects. And these people had blue eyes, they were white, and they picked the wrong line. And the children went along with them just like the Solomon Ash experiments. Uh, a new group came in, and these were actually the parents of the children. And they picked the short line and said it was the long line, and the children didn't agree with the parents. One thing I didn't tell you is those blue-eyed, white-skinned uh, people were actually robots. Uh, they had all these robots go in and tell the children that the line that was short was long. The children agreed with the robots and they didn't agree with their own parents. 
Now, why did this happen? It's, oh my God, we uh, children will follow the dictates of robots more than humans. Well, that may be so. I think it's because they look like toys, you know? They're, they were LED eyes and they, were, they didn't look human at all. Um, but they were, you know, they're uh, uh, bipedal uh, robots, two arms, uh, a head, and these eyes. So um, what I think is technology interfaces are influential and if they can influence children, I think they can influence adults. And so let's get right into the recent. So the University of uh, uh, Michigan did this um, exercise in 2000, this is actually a paper on uh, robot contracting. And they basically summarized three different systems on robot contracting. If we want two automated systems to negotiate and reach a solution, there are three elements necessary. One is discovery. You've got to find contracting partners. Who's going to do the transaction with me? Yeah, who's going to date me? Uh, second, there has to be a negotiation. Uh, this are how do I get the terms and conditions via some type of communications process or code, uh, protocol, and then there's an execution. Now you may think, oh wow, 2000, this is cutting edge. Well, actually, uh, the automated clearinghouse, bank transactions have been doing this for years. But the essence of this University of Michigan study, which is done in coordination with uh, the Watson people at IBM, uh, gives us a very fundamental structure on what we need to do to negotiate and settle on terms and conditions, including price, time of delivery, other things, if we automate that function. So we know how to consummate a transaction, but do we know what the right deal is for us? Uh, to that end, we can use something called decision analysis, which is um, kind of like the precursor to game theory. So I can look at the positions, the probabilities, and the payoffs of a transaction, and I can determine what is an acceptable range for me. And if I know decision analysis, and you may see the extensive form with like branches, you know, it, you know, uh, here's one option, another, do I have agreement on this point, yes or no, and what's the cost of that, what's the probability of that, and on and on, it looks like a branch of a tree. Um, so decision analysis is a tool we can use to help give some discernment to automated systems, and it indeed is being done today. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. So using um, a game theory negotiation example, I've actually done this in my law practice using a tort example, as other people have, as um, it helps us determine what the range is. For example, if I know the probabilities, positions, outcomes, and I know how much I've spent. I'll take the amount I've spent, subtract in my goal, and see if it's near, if I'm in the money or out of the money, or if I'm under the money. If I'm under the money, I'm gonna keep the transaction going, I'm gonna keep the dispute, I'm gonna to try to get a harder settlement. If I'm over my range, I'm gonna take the money and hope it sticks, because it'll be a little bit of an uh, um, inflationary close. If I'm in the money, I know that's a solid deal, that'll probably stand the test of time. No place has emotion created more damage, I think, than in uh, American family law transactions. And here's why. We have um, this idea of, you know, it's very Disney of, you know, 
uh, love and marriage and children. Eventually there's some type of dispute. He did me wrong, she did me wrong. Um, the attorneys get involved. And then in the United States, it's an adversarial process. We try to find extremes to get at the truth. It works in many different situations. Uh, in family law, it can be quite expensive and destructive. Uh, so typically, uh, as it was, uh, assets were fought over, uh, children were fought over, visitation, you know, discovery comes in, we go over people's records, very expensive. Maybe you'll get to a mediator and you'll settle or it'll become a judge. Uh, I've asked informally a number of family law attorneys and they basically say the divorce industrial complex is very expensive. In fact, if you take the couple's net worth, let's say it's 100% at the beginning of the transaction, by the end of all the attorneys and social workers and court fees and all this other stuff, you're basically, each party ends up with 25%. That's a decrease in around 50% of the net worth of those people. So the society has reacted in a lot of laws and this has happened. So all that drama of he did me wrong, she did me wrong is irrelevant in a no-fault divorce law dynamic, which is basically what we have. A lot of uh, couples, you know, love and marriage is an emotional enterprise. We get emotional and sometimes we can get irrational and keep the dispute alive when it becomes not objective and looks silly. So uh, what I call, and this has been done, I call it SAFER, S-A-F-R, the semi-automated family resolution process where both parties get behind a questionnaire in a computer, not in the same room. They fill it out. There's some processing done and a suggested distribution of assets is made and, you know, uh, maintenance income or alimony, as it used to be called. And then that wealth can be preserved when we've automated that process. Now, this process has been done for assets experimentally. It's been done actually for child support. A lot of states have automated child support, which is basically calculated on, you know, resources of the two parents and number of days that the child has their head on a pillow in whose house. And essentially that's a very quick summary. The questionnaire is actually longer than that, but it comes out with a number and basically that's very compelling. And the judge will generally say, yeah, you filled out the form. If the data is true and accurate, that's what you do. And there's um, little negotiation. In fact, some states actually bar. You can only haggle within five percent of the number of the award that the uh, calculator gives out. So this is a very uh, good sign. But the asset part—that's uh, another topic that probably could be ripe for efficiency. And here's you know this semi-automated process that takes emotion out of a very expensive, uh, very um, interesting situation. So if I want to do broader negotiations, say M&A or a transaction, I'm going to have to map a strategy. And for those of you who listen and have read, read my work, you know about what elements I have. So when you're mapping a strategy, there's some elements you want to know. Participant readiness. You want to know knowledge. You want to know communications protocol. You want to know the current state and future state. Of that knowledge element, we can drill down and figure out and probably automate that knowledge element 
pretty much. We need some subject matter expertise. Uh, we'll need uh, very transaction-specific knowledge, and this is all about financial clearinghouse strategies, very um, precise uh, transaction-specific knowledge. And we maybe even use game theory. What's the likely outcome? We can use decision analysis as one of the tools. We can look at probabilities, possibilities, and outcomes to help do that. And finally, we want to know about behavior. What do people do in a regular transaction? Another thing in my plan, I just don't want to think about loss prevention. Fine, these things are interfacing with, with each other. What do I want to do on loss prevention? How can I determine that their performance will happen? We have to assess ability to perform. This will take some type of guarantor mechanism if this system is to be automated. We also want to think about deal durability because you can automate anything if the parties are disenfranchised in that transaction, including their emotional needs. If they are not met, uh, those deals probably will not stand the test of time. We'll also need to memorialize to write down the transactions the parties know what they're agreeing to or what the terms are should they need to reference those. And ethically, um, ethics will be a issue if things get automated on how to perform. Is it trustworthy? Is it deceptive? Does, maybe there were no absolute lies told, but the whole procession of events may be deceptive. So, tactically, one thing that automated systems do is develop rapport. They seem like, especially in automated chat, that there's a person there. There, You can go many cycles before, uh, say in a help desk chat situation, before an actual human. They're basically trained in natural language to give you a response that seems like they are. And maybe they will persuade you just like a human. Robert Cialdini's work and his book, Presuasion, they will, uh, automated systems will get our attention if they don't already, and they do buy new and different. If you're in e-commerce, you know, if you shop for something in the past and something new has come up, you'll probably get an ad. Well, that gets your attention. The new is one of these six elements that Cialdini talks about in his book, Persuasion, that gets our attention. Once we're anchored, it's gonna prep. We're gonna have see images and things that make us more likely to consummate the transaction. So what will get our attention? Things that are new and shiny, uh, things that seem like they're a conflict that need resolution, things that are unfinished. Unfinished thing attracts us. Things that have to do with sex, things that are mysterious, things about us that are highly personalized, those things actually make closing a transaction in an automated sphere much more likely to happen than not. So, when we talk about influential mechanisms as human beings, and to the extent we interface with those, it's really important to see the mechanism that influences us. And once we know that mechanism, we are on autopilot. And if, say, an automated interface wants to seem consistent, they will ask us to do something very small initially. Uh, we will do it voluntarily. They will not threaten us to make that move. 
And if we publicly proclaim that act, we will be more likely to do that again and again and again. And this is already being done. If any of you use an online payment system, uh, there are some online payment systems that let you socially tell people that you've paid someone or gotten paid. Well, this is consistency uh, and social proof all in one. You're basically telling the world, hey, I paid this vendor. Well, that's a validation. If you're paying someone money, it's almost an endorsement. Um, if you're bragging about you're paying off someone, it means, hey, I'm a good credit risk. I pay my accounts receivable in a reasonable time. All these things um, make us more likely to follow that interface to be automate, essentially, our behavior. We are being influenced by these machines, which is based on psychology. That consistency mechanism I just explained to you, small-ass, voluntary, public, uh, that's Robert Cialdini's work in his 1984 book, Influence. So the next system that can influence is operational. So what are the media that make us more likely to do something? Good, clear communications facilitate transactions. For example, if I have a bad cell call, I will display, uh, uh, sorry, displace any frustration and aggravation that's caused 100% by the technology mechanism on you. And I will not like you. And I will deem you a frustrating person. I was at a seminar at a startup, technology startup, and uh, I was saying, hey, uh, someone raised their hand. What's the... Uh, most important thing when you're negotiating over the phone. And I said, good connection. If you have bad connection, all that frustration on the bad connection will be displaced on the party and they will hate you or you will hate them and the deal will go sideways. So it's better to wait, get a good connection when you're on the phone. So too, in any automated system, if that connection is bad, um, things will go bad. Mistrust, mistakes will be made. So... The, when, when you automate a transaction, it has got to be pretty much um, uh, very fault tolerant. All right, so much work is done by linguists on which words, which words we find more persuasive. And you will see automated systems using different words that can establish something or create a disassembly of that situation. For example, if I ask for someone's opinion I'm asking, I'm acknowledging a hierarchy. I'm asking for them to make a decision and present it to me. And any attorney will tell you that judges drop the gavel and they write opinions, meaning here's what I think it should be, but they're decision makers. Now, if I use the word advice, I immediately make the person a co-conspirator, an accomplice, because I'm not asking for your opinion. I'm asking for your advice that I may or may not consider. A simple word choice, opinion versus advice, can determine how we perceive that interface. And very persuasive automated systems will have psychological linguists that tell us which words are more acceptable and which words work to influence. So... This is happening right now. So Sarah Kaya, who is uh, in the Alexa Amazon team, presented a paper in 2018 in Lyon, France at the internet conference there. And a bot was made 
and Sarakai basically took this bot and had it look at dialogues, how we have engagement online, what makes us engaged in a dialogue and want to continue that conversation. And um, based on his work and some other things, there are basically five bullet points that keep us engaged in the dialogue. The first is to stay on topic. If you um, wander off topic, that conversation, that dialogue will be dropped. Uh, shared experiences to create more engagement. We share additional experiences as the dialogue continues. Next, we keep the dialogue moving. We don't dead end or do short stops. Um, other researchers using profanity is a sure way to short stop a large percent of the population. Um, next, to keep that conversation moving, we want to elaborate. We want to find more details, colors, sensation, sensory content to our dialogue keeps that going and of course always be polite if we have an algorithm that is transacting for us negotiating for us if you will if it's on topic if it talks about shared experiences if the conversation it keeps moving if it's elaborated on by degrees and if it's a polite interaction that is very persuasive in engaging us and that's happening right now. So, to the extent we interface with systems, uh, we talk about physiology of negotiation and other lessons about when we're at the table, glucose levels. Well, our physiology is irrelevant unless we have some type of sign-off. And what we want to do is absolutely make sure that we have notice and a consciousness and a presence of mind to the extent we have to develop and sign off and uh, consummate any automated transaction, any automated negotiation. And that's what I have regarding the future of automated negotiations. And what are the takeaways? Strategy is where 80% of the effort is gonna be going. 80% of the programming, planning, making interface to make the transaction more likely to be closed than not. Tactically, you're going to see this pre-suasion. We're going to see automated systems act like humans. They will inquire about our emotional states to seem like they are caring when, of course, they are automated. Operationally, Dialogue patterns and word choice will be essential to help these systems work for us, work without us, persuade us, or persuade other bots because we think about us being the interface, but some of these persuasive techniques will be us created electronically. So you could have two different programmed uh, emotional mimicking systems interact with each other to consummate a deal. So that's what I have regarding the automation of persuasion, influence, and negotiation. It's something that may sound futuristic, but it's happening right now. And I thank you for listening. This is Martin Medeiros with Negotiation Strategist Research.